Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. You know, called a bunch of evaluators with other teams uh, and asked them about, you know, potential landing spots for Corey Seager, for Carlos Correa, Marcus Simeon, Trevor Story, uh, uh, you know, Javier Baez. And I was surprised that a couple of them mentioned the Cardinals, saying, you know, there potentially could be a fit there. I don't know if I agree with that because they've got the, you know, the investment, uh, you know, the money still owed to, uh, to Paul DeYoung. Um, and, you know, they've already got some a lot of money that's tied up with, uh, you know, a couple older players and Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. But other teams are definitely seeing the Cardinals that, as, as being a sleeper uh, team in terms of the shortstop market. Time will tell. Welcome to the Danny Mac Show on a Wednesday. That's BK. I'm Danny Mac. The shortstop market, certainly that's what some fans are saying. Hey, if you got money to spend and the Cardinals are going to have some money coming off the books, go get a shortstop. Frustrated with DeYoung. Had a down year. He's had a couple of down years. Edmundo Sosa, is he ready for the big stage? Is he ready to be an everyday player? At times he was. Looked pretty darn good. Or are you better throwing that money maybe at the pitching market? Or, hey, if you want to get greedy, why not both? That's something we're going to talk about here in our first segment. But also, uh, Andy McCullough coming up from The Athletic had a great piece. And if you haven't read it, really went into the Dodgers mindset behind the scenes of who had votes, essentially. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, BK, but how they went about making a decision on who to start in a game and postseason play. Do you go the traditional route? Do you go an opener? Do you go, And who's got the votes? How does it work? So I, I thought it was a fascinating article, and we're going to talk about that. But i got to tell you, I really enjoyed the uh, the visit with Buster Olney. Anytime he's on, I, he's I just great. think he's you know a wealth of knowledge and uh, enjoy his insight because he is connected to the game, obviously, at, at some of the highest levels. But I'll ask you, what stood out from your uh, interview with Buster Olney? I mean, that quote was one of them. Um, let's start there, and then we can work to a couple other things because there were a couple other pieces and nuggets that I found to be uh, interesting on the managerial side as well. When he was talking about the shortstop market and whether or not the Cardinals could uh, could be players in it, he mentioned that he was working on a piece that was going to be posted about the top of the market. Well, that piece is now up and it's over at ESPN.com. Dan, he ranked based on the conversations that he had with evaluators around the league where these shortstops are seen right now by evaluators. Top of the market. Corey Seager, the guy that we've been talking the most about. Left-handed bat. He's young. He's 27 years old. He's seen as one of the best hitters. If he's healthy, he's the guy that's probably going to get, if not the most money, right up there at the top of the market. So the question then would be, what is most money? What does that mean? 250? 250 plus. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he gets less than 250, given his age more so maybe than anything else. Carlos Correa is number two on this list, Dan. They've got Marcus Simeon at number three. And given his production, it's hard to argue. The reason why I bring up the rankings is because I feel like of all of the shortstops, the ones that we the one that we started with was Trevor Story. And I feel like now that's the one we're potentially going to be ending with talking the most about. I think this offseason, if you're looking at the Cardinals spending at that position, 
the left-handed bat makes a lot of sense. Don't get me wrong. I, I love Corey Seager. I, I'd love to have him. But if it's going to cost 275 I just don't know that they're going to be wanting to get into that market. Especially when you're paying, essentially now you're talking for three years and then after that, it'll be multiple years with Arenado and let's just say Seager or one of these guys uh, paying them $25, $30 million a year. So do you want 50 to 55, $60 million going to two people of your roster? And that's just not how it, normally the Cardinals have operated. And for the next three years, $100 million going to, right, three to three players. And that's and my that's, point. That's the tough part. I think you can make it through after that sure with just can. the two guys, but the three guys right now making $100 million. That's very difficult to build around. And that's why I go back to Trevor's story. If he's going to end up getting something more resembling a five-year $100 million contract or something of that ilk, man, he makes a lot of sense for this team. Let me ask you this. Okay, you got Corey Seager, you got Carlos Correa, Marcus Simeon, Trevor Story, Javi Baez. Mm -hmm. All very good players. Five of them out there. So you're going to have five teams bidding for these guys. And uh, they're going to wind up somewhere. I wonder if one of their agents says to them, and I'm not talking about Seager or Correa. Simeon is getting older, so you, you get what you get. You know, you want to take, you want to maximize the and year he's you had just back had. Back-to-back great seasons, now. right? And he's what 32, 33, something 31 like that. at the start okay. of next year. Yeah. So, I think, comparatively speaking, in age, if I'm his agent, I'm saying, hey, we're going to get the best deal we can. And I'm going to my point here. Mm-hmm. Of the five, let's say you're number four, you're number five, and you're just not getting the market that you thought that you might get. Do you want to take the chance and say, let's let's get a one-year deal, and it'll be good. I mean, you're going to get 18, 20 million, and a one-year deal, you might get more than what you would get over the course of that one year in a five-year deal. You know, we'll maximize the one year, or maybe do a shorter deal, and then get back in the market where you're the only fish. I don't know, man. Maybe that's something to think about. And I don't know who's missing shortstops after next year. You know what I mean? That's yeah. something to also look at is what's your marketplace uh, and need for short. I mean, there are a lot of teams that want to shortstop this upcoming season. Detroit comes to mind. Maybe you're the Dodgers, uh, even though you got Trey Turner that could slide right over there and play. Uh, maybe you're the Cardinals, depending on how they Yankees. look at it. The Yankees are a team that certainly would look at it. Um, the Mets. So the Mets, I mean, would be a second base option for some of these guys like a Baez. You know, they want to bring him back. Uh, obviously, they've got a guy that's there for 13. Cubs, if they want to get involved Cubs in this would be kind another of one. Rockies, potentially. I mean, so are you better off just saying, hey, I'll reset my market, and that's where the Cardinals maybe steal a guy? Could happen. The Josh Donaldson path, basically. Exactly. Like He ended up taking that one-year deal. I believe that was right after he had the injury-plagued season. He, he took the one-year pillow contract with Atlanta, got $23 million for that one season, and got back to the market the next year, had a good season, signed a four-year, uh, $92 million contract with the Twins after that. That's kind of what you're talking about here is maybe there is one of these guys, don't know who it's going to be, one of them ends up not seeing exactly what they're looking for. Maybe it is Trevor Story coming off of, I know in this piece by Buster Olney, he said, hey, there's some teams that have questions about the elbow. And his velocity on all of his throws to first didn't quite have the same zip after like May 23rd, I think right. was the date. They're going to want to know about that. Do you feel comfortable giving him a four or five year deal? Or would you like to see, hey, let's see what it looks like in year one. We'll give you the money, 
And then after that, if things are going well, we'll resign you. It'll be basically a five-year deal at that at that dollar figure. But we want to be sure on that first. I think teams, some, not all, even though they're, you can look at the analytics and they're going to tell you what kind of player he is away from cores, I still think that there is the, in the back of my mind, do I want to give a long-term deal to a guy that has played his career at Coors Field? Now, when you have upper echelon players, and I mean Nolan Arenado, and Matt Holiday and Matt Holiday then went to Oakland prior to St. Louis. But mm-hmm. I'm talking about like really great, great, great players. Teams feel way more comfortable in that. I don't put Trevor Story in that category. I think he's a very good player. Is he great like the others? I don't think so. But is he really good? Yeah. But I do I do wonder if front offices, even though you can break it down on paper, BK, I mean I, I can look at the numbers and look at his splits and look at the exit velocity and I can take into account the cores effect and then what he did on the road. I can do all that stuff and feel comfortable enough having enough research and quantifiable numbers to tell me my investment is okay. Mm. I get it. But still there's the human element of me. I know how I am. And in the back of my mind, I'd be like, I don't know if I want to give him five or six years to play here because I, I he played cores. I, I don't know. And, and the thing that is, different about cores is how you are pitched sometimes it's not necessarily yes obviously you're going to get more carry on the ball and things of that nature and some home runs are there that wouldn't be at other places or the ball hits the gap and it's going to go to the wall that it wouldn't at other places i get that but the interesting part about when i talk to guys that play at cores or have played there or even go visit there um, a couple times a year is how you're pitched because the pitchers are different so guys are throwing different pitches because they don't feel they have the effectiveness of what they may have when they're on the road. So, I mean, there's all those things that I'd I'd have to take a look at. But if, hey, if Trevor Story wants to reset the market and he says, I'd really like St. Louis because I like Nolan and uh, it seems to be a really good place and I thrive off of big crowds and they got a chance to win, which also was a factor in what happened this year. A lot of people around him said not that he was down in the dumps, but he expected to be traded. Wasn't happening. He saw Arnato go. He knew their chance to win wasn't there. There is something of the human element of having a chance to win that gets guys ready to go up and ready to play. That's something I would take into account, too. Yeah, it was the year from hell for him. He was yeah. injured. He didn't win. He didn't get traded. And then everything kind of avalanched from there. It was just, it was very bad. Uh, you know who's seen a lot of Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado over the years, is Andy McCullough, who covered the L.A. Dodgers out for now the Athletic, previously the L.A. Times. I'm curious what he thinks about this potential. That, that by the way, folks, is BK's way of saying, hey, you need to wrap up and go to another segment. And he gracefully led me into that and i gotta tell you that back to more of the danny mac show with bk on 101 espn been really looking forward to getting uh, andy mccullough on from the athletic he's been a longtime baseball writer had just a tremendous piece at the athletic and again i would advise as we were talking about earlier everybody to go back and look at it but to paraphrase and we'll ask andy more about it but really went into the dodgers decision at all levels of what they wanted to do with a starter 
Do you how much you last with uh, an opener? Do you want to go to an opener? Do you go to this guy, that guy, or this guy? And I mean, from all levels of the organization and who has final say, all that stuff. It was just a fascinating piece. And then there's a great piece today on Cody Bellinger, who's had two of the best at bats for the Dodgers in this postseason, in my opinion. BK, I'm Danny Mack. That's BK, and that was the walk, which no one talks about against the Cardinals in the ninth inning to set up uh, the home run hit by Taylor, and then. Obviously, the home run that was hit yesterday by Bellinger with their season on the line. Uh, Andy, thanks for for coming on this morning here in St. Louis. I'm assuming it's a little early out there on the West Mm -hmm. Coast, but uh, really appreciate your time and, and your insight. Thanks for coming on. Hey, anytime. Time is just a concept anyway. I love it. You got it. Um, Let's go into the piece that was written. Um, I guess it's been maybe, what do you think, BK, about a week ago or so? Yeah, it was game four of the NLDS. So um, can you describe to fans just what the piece was about, how you were able to get some of the insight, and just what goes into, in modern-day baseball now, the decision-making of whom to use uh, to start a game or openers and that kind of thing? Well, it's actually, you know, it's funny you bring that up because uh, there's been subsequent games played since then, and everyone in L.A. hates the Dodgers front office again. So, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Good job. Uh, you know, it's, it's really what have you done for me lately. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I wrote a story off Game 5 of the NLDS when the Dodgers decided to uh, use an opener for Julio Urias um, to, you know, to basically face the Giants, and it was really... Uh, you know, it was a very sort of controversial decision because Arias, you know, won 20 games this year. Um, the Dodgers are often accused of being kind of too cute by half in the postseason with some of the ways they um, use their roster. And, you know, I was really interested in just like, why did you do this? You know, <laughs> like, like they, you know, when you, when you ask those questions before a game, it's always like, we're just trying to win a baseball game, you know, and like, they're not going to explain the reasoning is, though, I was able to talk to some folks in the front office, talk to the pitching coach, Mark Pryor, and just basically, like, you know, tell me about the, the process to get to this decision to use openers for Julio Arias. And, you know, it was a fairly extensive thing. I mean, it was something that the, the front office and the coaching staff kind of cooked up after game four. Um, they took it and they basically said, okay, we're going to do this if we can get, you know, everyone on board. Um, you know, so they went and sort of worked, you know, talked to Arias first. Obviously, he was open to it. They talked to Corey Knable, who would be the guy who would be the lead opener to make sure he was open to it. And then they kind of canvassed the clubhouse, you know, talking to guys like Justin Turner and Max Scherzer and Clayton Kershaw and Kenley Jansen and, you know, basically saying like, hey, if we do this, it's going to be okay. And, you know, from what they said, they were all on board. And um, it was really designed to suppress the, uh, and this is going to sound uh, overtly technical, but like the the, <laughs> the way that the San Francisco Giants maximize their leverage uh, and the way that the Giants are, the Giants are basically considered the best situational team in the sport. They were very good at, you know, sort of squeezing equity out of uh, small marginal spots in terms of using matchups platoons, you know, pinch hitters, all that sort of stuff. And the idea was that by the Dodgers using an opener, they would squeeze a couple of leverage at bats away from the Giants, and that would maybe help the margin. And they won by one run, and, you know, it's effectively, it it essentially worked. Um, So, yeah, but then they use Arias in relief in game two, and, you know, it's all a mess again. So who, who knows?
I am curious, Andy, because when you have a situation like this that's taking place with the backdrop here in St. Louis of the manager getting fired and then the front office saying that there were different philosophies uh, that they just couldn't reconcile between the front office and the manager. And we have basically been told nothing as to what exactly those philosophies are. But if you read into it a little bit, it feels like, hey, a situation like this may arise in the future and the front office may want to do X and the manager wants to do Z and they can't meet in the middle for Y. How much trust from the manager has to be there with the front office, with the players, for something like this to work and for everybody to be on the same page? Well, I mean, I think that when it when it works, everyone's on the same page. And when it goes sideways, you know, well, it was that guy's idea. You know, <laughs> like and I and I think that's sort of uh, you know, the problem with these things. As for as much as you can talk about uh, you know, it being a process based uh, business, it's a results based business, you know? And so like, I'm not writing a story about how the Dodgers are geniuses. If Corey can able to get some three run bomb in the first inning against the giants. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think you need to have trust in the manager. You need to be sort of all pulling in the same direction. You know, there's a bunch of, st- you know, I'm not, I'm like, not going to speculate on uh, what's going on in St. Louis. Sure. I don't really cover the Cardinals. I- I've heard some, you know, interesting theories, I guess, but um, it, it, I, I, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it was a, obviously what St. Louis did was very surprising, but uh, it seems like it's not the sort of decision that comes easily. And, uh, you know, when you know it's probably not going to be very popular when you, you know, fire a manager who's had the success of like Shillhead. Andy, uh, I am curious, and I, I know that uh, you're well connected. I, I Just in a general sense, what was the reaction? And, you know, you're around a lot of media people, especially when it's going around. Uh, at the NLCS and when this came down and people are kind of like, wow, you know, I I am curious. What was uh, just the general consensus of some of the people around baseball you talked about when you heard that Mike Schilt was let go? Yeah. I mean, I think that among a lot of people, there was shock, obviously. I think among some people there was kind of a shrugging, well, you know, he's, you know, tactically he's not the best manager. And it's like, you know, I, I think it was mostly shock, but there were some people who were kind of just like, yeah, you know, you could probably find a tactically better manager. I, I've always felt, though, that, like, tactics are probably the easiest thing to improve with a manager, and you, it's very rare that you – you know, let go of a manager because like he doesn't press the right buttons in a certain game. I think that's something you can actually really improve with. So it had to be something deeper than that. And I think, you know, uh, what based on reading the tea leaves of, you know, John Bozeliak's statements, like it, it was deeper than just, you know, uh, going to like Alex Reyes in that spot in the wild card game. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's shock, right? He's an organizational man. He's had a lot of great success. He seems well liked by his players. Um, so yeah, definitely very surprising. Andy, you mentioned the Giants and a couple answers ago, how how they are basically the best situational team in the sport right now. And there's definitely a lot of truth in that. What are the lessons in your mind that other teams across the National League can learn from what the Giants did this year, where they stunned all of us? I don't know if you were in this boat, but I certainly, uh, up until literally game four, I never believed in the Giants at any point this season, even though they won like 107 games. What are the lessons in your mind that we can learn from what the Giants were able to do this year? Yeah, I think you had to watch the Giants up close to really understand it because if you just look at the baseball reference, you know, if you just kind of watch the highlights, it's kind of confusing. But if you watch them for an extended period of time, you're like, this is an incredible 
situational baseball team. This is a team that there's always positioned properly. They, their manager does not make many mistakes in terms of using his relievers. They have, you know, line shifts in the lineup that allow them to sort of maximize the, you know, guys like, uh, you know, Darren Ruff and, uh, you know, Lamont Wade and, and, you know, all this sort of stuff. I mean, I think the lesson is just assemble as many good players as you can. It's the same lesson that the Dodgers have done. Uh, it's the same thing that the Rays have done. Um, you know, some, to some degree, it's what the Red Sox are trying to do. I mean, I think it's just, you know, depth is the way to form a great baseball team in this era. I mean, it, you, you saw it when, Atlanta had uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. go down this winter. You know, Alex Anthopoulos did not go get one single outfielder to replace him. He got four. And I think that that is what, you know, the, the, the cutting-edge teams, for lack of a better term, in this era are, are how they're handling problems. Like, it's just buy in bulk and, you know, utilize as much depth as possible. And I think what the Giants did was they blended that depth with, uh, you know, a core of talent, you know, specifically, you know, Buster Posey, Brandon Belt, and Brandon Crawford, who are all sort of having, like, rejuvenated years. They, they blended that to, you know, have this, this really, really dynamic lineup. Uh, but, you know, there's lots of stuff. Like, you need to have buy-in in the clubhouse. You know, you need to have platoon players who aren't complaining that they should play every day. I mean, that's something that the Dodgers have, have dealt with over the years, is they have guys who are really good and are mad that they only play half the time um it's it's a delicate balance you know and i would be curious to see if san francisco can keep this going you know it's hard to it's hard to convince guys that they should only play half the time when they hit you know 20 home runs in a season you know what i mean yeah and at the end of the day it's about numbers and numbers means money and follow the money, uh, which leads me to this next question. Uh, you've had a chance being on the West Coast to see a lot of Trevor's story. There is, uh, you know, talk here. Do the Cardinals maybe invest some money into the shortstop position, even though they have a couple of guys that at times can be really good? What is your thought on Trevor's story? And does he reset the market with a one-year deal? What, are, what is he like outside of cores? What, what did you see this year with Trevor's story? Why would they go after Trevor Story? Why would they go after Corey Seager or Carlos Correa? Well, that is, uh, I hey, if it was up to follow me, follow the money, Andy. If it, yeah, okay, okay, follow the okay, money you of what you. For, okay. Hey, right. Andy, let me tell you, if it was up to me and I could go get Corey Seager, he'd be uh, yeah. my opening day shortstop, probably, um, yeah. depending on but, collection going. But yes, that's follow the money of how much I have to spend. So that's what I'm trying to go with here. <laughs> Sure. Uh, yeah, story's fine. I mean, he's a, he's a good player. Uh, I think that um, you know he. It'll be interesting to see if he experiences kind of a uh, a bounce back in the way that TJ LeMahieu did after like a, a down year um, heading into free agency. Obviously, you know the relationship with Arenado. Um, you know, makes for a nice fit, both in terms of like uh, you know friendship and also uh, comfort uh, in the infield. I mean, I, yeah, I guess that, that does make some sense. I feel like the Cardinals are a big market team and should be fishing in the top end of the pond. But, like, like Trevor Storr is a really good player, and um, I, he just had such a strange season. Uh, you know, he's a little banged up. Um, you know, the numbers were down. There seemed to be zero reason to try in Colorado for most of the season. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think that he would be an upgrade over their current options. I just think there's a couple better players on the market at that position. Andy, you mentioned Corey Seager. You've got a, a history of watching a whole hell of a lot of Corey Seager baseball games. It, first of all, how good is this guy for Cardinals fans who have not watched a ton of him over the years? And secondarily, what do you think the market's going to look like? Because we said the money, and I, 
I'm just assuming he's going to get $250 million or more. What do you think the market's going to look like for him once he hits it? Yeah, I would peg him as somewhere above the Anthony Rendon deal and below the Francisco Lindor deal just because of, uh, you know, questions about his long-term viability at shortstop, uh, you know, his health. Um, he's a big, big man. Um, and he dealt with injuries really most of his career. You know, he hasn't played more than 150 games in a season since 2016. Uh, now, that said, like, when he's locked in, you know, there are some scouts who believe he's the most dangerous hitter in the sport. I mean, he is a guy who is incredibly aggressive. He's incredibly confident. Um, he does not really slump. Uh, he just, you know, he, he's gotten better this past year, especially about taking walks and being more patient. Um, you know, he is a really, really dynamic, dangerous hitter. The only really question with Seager is just health. I mean, he's, like I said, he's a big man. He's six foot four. He's probably like 225. Um, you know, he's never been, you know, the, the most uh, agile fielder, but through, you know, hard work and defensive positioning, he's made himself a pretty adequate, you know, shortstop. Uh, but it's just a question of like, what is the value if he has to move off that position? What is the value if, um, you know, he has to play first base or third base or, you know, what physically can he do? I'm very interested in Jock Peterson. I have been for a long time. You had a, a great piece in The Athletic talking about he would have stayed in in Los Angeles, but the Dodgers were not interested. And now they're seeing Jock Peterson hit bombs all over the place. So knowing him, and by the way, his brother is a coach in the Cardinals minor league system. Um and he went to Chicago, and one of the reasons why, if not the main reason why, is that they told him, hey, you'll play against lefties. You're going to play against righties. But is he at the point in his career where he comes off the bench to mash righties, get the occasional start, if somebody gets hurt, you got a good player out there, or does he feel like he needs to you know, be an everyday player? What's your feeling on that? I still think he would like to play every day. I still think that's probably where he sees himself, uh, you know, looking for free agency. But, you know, look, I mean, I, I also think at some point, you know, you kind of need to be realistic about um, you know, your abilities and who you are as a player. And he is a guy who has, you know, historically struggled against lefties. I mean, he was actually, you know, not that bad against lefties this season. Um, but it was mostly, you know, in, in just kind of in comparison to, um, you know, against being kind of mediocre against righties, if that makes sense. Um, so, it, you know, I, I would suspect that he'll still be looking for sort of a full, you know, a full-time job. Well, you probably could offer as a bonus maybe a really nice pearl me- uh, necklace. That that may happen. <laughs> I think he's already got one. I yeah, I think he, he does, too. That, he's already sent in that department. Yeah, he's, uh, he's good to go in that department. Hey, Andy, thanks for hopping on. A lot of fun to visit with you. And again, uh, keep up the great work uh, work at The Athletic. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you so much for having me. You got it. Andy McCullough from The Athletic. Um, he's got really good stuff, and he's connected, and a lot of the best players in the game are on the West Coast, and mm-hmm. they happen to wear Dodger blue. So I'll I tell you what, BK, I, um, you know, I'm – I'm like a fan, and I watch all these games, and I've taught it. You know, we talk about it all the time. I'm up watching. You're an insane person. Yeah. Like, you watch football. I watch yeah. Major League Baseball. Jock Peterson would be a great fit here. I really do believe that. I, I think he's fun, and I've talked to people that are around him now. He, he's really loose, keeps it fun, and, and you're seeing it with his hair and the necklace and all that stuff. But then he produces. You know, he's he's hitting bombs against righties. And what do the Cardinals need coming off their bench? In my opinion, a left-handed bat that can play the outfield. Now, is that Lars Newpar? 
Lars Newbart, by, by the way, way. Speaking of hitting bombs, he's oh doing boy. great at the, the Arizona Fall League. And uh, as a side to that, Jordan Hicks will go today, I believe. But the guy that I'm really excited about coming right now out of the Arizona Fall League, you can listen to the interview, gratuitous plug here at, at scoopswithdannymac.com. But Brian Walton and I talked this morning, um, and he was out in Arizona. Zach Thompson has figured something out. Something is going on there where, you know, he had a tough season. And it was, a, it was up and down, and I mean the downs were rough. Whether it was arm angle, uh, whether it was just ineffectiveness, whatever. But something is starting to get figured out. And this is a former top pick. He had three perfect innings the other day, right? Yeah, and he's, he's throwing the ball well. Um, Jordan Hicks throwing the ball well. They're extending him out to get him innings. By the way, if the Cardinals are still in it, I think Jordan Hicks is on the postseason roster. Interesting. Um, and that's not from any insight. I'm just saying, you know, look at the, read the tea leaves. Yeah. It's a valuable arm you could have again in your bullpen. Now, do they stre- stretch him up, out to be a starter in spring training and Alex Reyes? I think we're going to find out. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they say, yeah. Now, a lot of times they do that with the idea in the back of their mind. A good example would be like Ryan Helsley, who's been a, a starter in the minor leagues. And they say, okay. We're going to give you your shot, you know, and then he goes out and throws two innings on game one and three innings in game uh, seven or whatever it is or five. And then all of a sudden, eh, what well, you're back in the bullpen because we <laughs> yeah. got to get these guys to their innings. So it's something to keep in mind going forward, though. But that's it is good news. They, the, the guys they've sent to the Arizona Fall League are producing. Yeah, I mean, L- Lars Newbar has been hitting and he's not the only one that's hitting right now, now down there either. Uh, you look at what Nolan Gorman's done down there. OPS over a thousand already. Yeah. Juan Yepes, same thing. OPS over a thousand so far in the Arizona Fall League. All of the Cardinals down there are really showing out in a big way. And Andy mentioned in our interview with him, hey, you know, the great teams right now, they're built on depth. Uh, you look at what the Braves did when they were at the trade deadline and they needed an outfielder. They got four. Uh, you look at what the Giants did in the offseason when they needed relievers. They got like 27, including guys that were coming off of injury to say like, hey, if this hits, it could be a, a raffle ticket that we end up winning big on. And that's that's kind of the way they're building. So if you're the Cardinals and you get some of these young players that are able to push through the system and you go out there and sign maybe a Jock Peterson, uh, maybe it's something to the equivalent of a Brad Miller. Uh, those guys are the ones that could really push this team over the top if they're able to also come with another move. Mike Schilt spoke yesterday and so did Matt Holiday, And we're going to hear from both of those guys coming up. Can't get enough cards talk? You've come to the right place. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. So Matt Holliday has done a couple of interviews. He's always on the fast lane. And one of the things he was asked about is what would it be like to be the Cardinals manager? You know, I think when you talk about an organization like St. Louis Cardinals, if, uh, if they called and said, um, would you have interest in a job of this magnitude? Uh, I, I would have interest. You know, I think it is a special organization, a special city. It would be a, a unique opportunity. So it would be something that I would, I would definitely be interested in. So um, I haven't heard from anybody. So um, I, I, there's a lot of great candidates. Two of my best friends and Ollie Marmol and Skip Schumacher are being considered. So uh, I think they have a lot of great options. And, and uh, it'd be just an honor to be considered for such a, uh, you know, like I said, just a, such a job of, of, of great importance and, and uh, a great organization. He was on the Doug Gottlieb show and asked about the challenge of managing older uh, old teammates like Wayno and Yachty. I, I think that when you have a respect and a friendship, uh, that kind of thing can work. And, you know, those were my, my close friends and people 
that I think we, we all respected one another, even if, you know, we take the friendship aside. And so I, I don't think that that would be an issue. I mean, I, I think that um, I think it would be an asset. A big, big word that we're talking about all the time, analytics, front office, dealing with that, how it goes back and forth. How would he handle it? Well, I think for me, it, you have to marry the two. You have to be able to manage humans because they're not robots or they're not commodities. Um, so I, I do think that, you, that obviously it'd be silly to not use the information that, that these smart people are, are giving you and, and giving you, you know, suggestions on, on what to do and why. And I think that there is a good, you know, conversation uh, to be had on, on why they would do what they would do and why I would do what I would do if the, if the, if the opinion is different. So I, I would say I'm fascinated to listen and learn and, and I don't, I don't go into something saying, oh, I have this specific way that I have to do it. I mean, I think we're all open to suggestion. And then at the end of the day, as the manager, you make the final decision. And, you know, and that's that's how I would want that to be. A few things about uh, Matt Holiday. Number one, he's an asset to any organization. I don't care what role he's in. He would be an asset. And now that you're hearing him, uh, not as a player, but as a retired player, um, talk to the media he's very good with the media so he would represent your organization in a wonderful way in terms of blending analytics so he's got young kids that play at a high level and i've said this before there's a couple of them i'm gonna i'm gonna be describing young holidays out there in the major leagues i truly believe that um and these kids are learning analytics at a young level and that means the coaches like matt are are all over this stuff he's also coaching at one of the highest programs in the country at oklahoma state they're all using analytics there have been some colleges that were ahead of major league baseball teams in terms of the facilities and what they have to understand analytics so i i, th- I don't think that's a problem um and he's been in that seat of a player he's played at the highest levels he's been a, a guy that's won a batting title he's won a world championship he's been in two of the biggest markets of baseball you can be in in cardinals in new york he's done it and he's been around baseball his entire life i i just think he'd be an asset in any role now when you're talking to these guys like a matt holiday he's made well over 100 million dollars so does he want to be at the ballpark at nine or ten o'clock and staying there till midnight, one o'clock, two in the morning to be a hitting coach, a bench coach, um, outfield coach, coordinator, or does he want to be the manager? And that's that's the rub with a lot of former players. They want to do it, but do they they kind of look at it and go, is it really worth it? You know, I, I've, I've done so much in the game. I got all the money I need and I've already missed a lot of my family time being a player. Do I want to be that guy? So, again, I. I would really hope that he gets an interview and whether or not he gets the job, he's a great mind. He watches all our games. Trust me. I know. I mean, you can hear it on the fast lane too, whatever he's well, on with those guys. You can also look at my phone and see all the text messages throughout the day and, and the game. He's, he's a great guy and he loves the game and he loves the Cardinals. So even if you weren't going to hire him, I'd love to hear his thoughts on just what you're seeing. What, what do you see with our club? Yeah, he's an incredibly bright baseball man. And first and foremost, that's what you need on your bench or in your dugout. Like you need guys like that that have been around and seen everything and that immediately command the respect of any room that they walk into. And whether it be here in St. Louis or anywhere else, he's that guy. He commands that respect from everybody that's in there. Now, if you're Skip Schumacher, do you 
if you're not going to be the manager and you're out in San Diego, do you come to St. Louis for what would be, and he's got a young family too, get the Christmas card every year, although they're getting bigger. Um, do you make the lateral move? You know, do you want to be a bench coach here and then start setting your roots here in St. Louis and then down the line, maybe something comes of it or you keep your hand in the game to make sure when next year, or the year after something pops up and they look at your experience and it continues to grow and you've been with two different organizations. I don't know. I mean, only he can answer that. That's something to think about. Now, the former manager, and by the way, I believe the leader, this is just me. I don't have any insight on this. I think if you just kind of read the situation, you get rid of the manager, but you keep the staff together and you anticipate them being together to me. And they've talked about with their players, their coaches and their managers promoting from within. Yeah. That tells me that their manager is probably already here and has been here. And I think it might be Ali Marmol, even at the age of 35. We're going to have to wait and see. Now, from the, the former manager, he was on MLB Network Radio yesterday. Mike Schill, what's the next step for him? I think it's time to reflect for a little bit and take, take a little bit of an opportunity to connect and, and be still and, and to listen to your heart. But, uh, you know, listen, I'm going wrong and, and listen to opportunities and, and you know, just want to make sure I'm doing things for the right reason. The next step makes sense for me and the family and um, make sure my heart's completely around it. And so, uh, yeah, you know, there's, there's the good news is there's going to be options. Um, they've, they've already started to present themselves. And according to The Athletic, the Padres will interview Mike for their opening. And he talked about uh, just some of the managerial openings that might present itself to him. Uh, there's been some back channeling. I don't want to say anything. It's, uh, you know, it's just very, um, you know, I'm, I'm really unclear how to handle. I've never really been fired from a manager job and have been on the open market so i'm not sure how this exactly works guys but uh you know there's uh there's been there's been some informal conversations and and uh but nothing you know beyond that but you know like i said the good news is the phone is wrong i think there's going to be opportunities um to to explore which is exciting and um you know, I, I'm comfortable and confident that I have a lot to offer whatever that next step looks like. Well, one of the things that I take from hearing that, he said, I'm going to take a little time and reflect. And part of that, I think, is even if you believe you're in the right and don't understand why you, you've been let go of a certain position, there has to be self-evaluation and say, what am I missing? What did I miss here? What, what did I do wrong? And he's a smart guy. He'll figure it out and probably talk to people and say, hey, maybe this happened, that happened. To no fault of your own, this could have happened, whatever. But it's a self-evaluation, and, the, and he's bright enough to understand that going into the next job, they're going to ask him about those kind of things. Yeah, and I think like if you're just putting together, hey, uh, manager X did this, manager Y did this. I think in general, Mike Schultz was a better manager here in St. Louis than Mike Matheny was. I just think he was a, he did a better job overall. Um, but Mike Matheny, when he lost the opportunity here, he did a lot of self-reflection. Absolutely. And if you listen to Mike Matheny speak in Kansas City, it's a different, it's a guy. different human being yeah. than what he sounded like whenever he would do interviews here in St. Louis. That was one of the biggest things he learned. Hey, I got to be better with the media because I'm a representation of the franchise. Now, that is not something, in my opinion, that was an issue for Mike Schiltz here. But maybe there were other things. I don't know what they were. Matheny has spoken openly and honestly about his analytics. He was not he was not good with them when he was here and how he wasn't good with the media. Those are two things that he immediately knew. OK, I got to get better there. What are the things for Mike Schiltz? What are the things that you need to improve upon to make sure that your next step is better than the way that it ended here in St. Louis? 
He's going to know those. He, he probably might already know those. And whenever he gets that next opportunity, I'm pretty confident he's going to be good wherever he ends up. Blues, Golden Knights coming up pregame at 8 on 101 ESPN. And uh, I'm sure you're going to be getting to, into that with Alex. Blues are 2-0, and four points already. It's been a fun start to the season. What else is coming up? I know you've been paying attention, Dave. Oh, yeah. We're actually going to begin there with Pavel Buchnevich. He is now suspended for you the next two the games. Yeah, it turns out if it's frowned upon, especially when you're apparently a repeat offender. <laughs> right. Uh, can't do that you'll get suspended for it he has been and now what does that open the door for which guys could Clint potentially Costin. take advantage of this opportunity we'll talk about that coming up next am i right there you think that's at least one of the two yeah for sure Let's see what happens yeah. all right looking forward to it tanner great job as always and we'll talk to everybody tomorrow peloton let's go this holiday with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors we're gonna pick it up a notch it's the holiday season you might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.